Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. David and Goliath. It's one of the most common stories in the Bible. You guys have all heard it before. Poll a group of non-Christians, non-churchgoers, asking the most popular Bible stories in the Bible. Likely you would hear Noah in the Ark, Ten Commandments maybe. Thank you, Charlton Heston, for that. Jonah and the whale. But among the top five is likely the story of David and Goliath. It's become synonymous in our culture with the ultimate underdog story. We all love underdog stories. Karate Kid. Remember that one? Wax on, wax off. Miracle. Anybody seen Miracle? Hockey movie. That's a good movie if you haven't seen it. You need to see Miracle. Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 10. Creed 1, 2. They keep going. They keep going. Remember the Titans. We love underdog stories. And this story of David and Goliath has become known as the most popular underdog, synonymous with underdog stories in our culture. Here's the thing I want you to do today, though. I want you to put aside all preconceived notions you have about this story, because here's what I'm going to propose to you today. This isn't an underdog story at all. David was not the underdog in this fight. See, you're not an underdog when you go into the fight knowing that you're going to win in the first place. This fight was fixed, to use an old term. David knew what was going to happen. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put aside all of those preconceived ideas you have about David and Goliath. I know you grew up in Sunday school hearing David and Goliath, and it's embedded in your head. Underdog, underdog, underdog. And you've probably heard a lot of sermons over the year. Facing the giants, slaying the giants, defeating the giants, overcoming the giants. And honestly, that's kind of what today's message is going to be as well. But I think for us to really let this speak to us today, we've got to let the Scripture We've got to let the Word of God really truly speak to us about how to actually knock Goliath out today. We've got to let the Scripture speak to us. So put aside all those preconceived ideas you may have, and let's let God speak to us today. Let's pray before we start here. Father, we pause. We stop right now. We stop right now. God, for many, this may be the only time they've done that all week. So right now, we stop and we pause and we look at you. We be still and we know that you are God. And so, Father, as we open the word of God today, as we look at your word, I pray that it will speak to us. God, is sharp as a two-edged sword. May it change us to the deepest parts of us today. May we go out of this place today with an encouragement, with an inspiration, but God, most importantly, with a weapon to defeat the giants in our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You guys turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I really want you to turn there. Get your Bible, get your uh, phones, get your iPads, whatever you need to go. We're going to do a lot of scripture today. And here's why it's important for you to turn there because um, I don't want you to think that I'm making something up because there's things I promise you in this passage you may have never, ever noticed before. Once again, this is, it's kind of hard to preach a passage or something that's very, very well known because everybody comes in with all these preconceived ideas. So open it up the best you can, whatever device you got. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Asakah. 
Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another while the valley with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed, weighed, weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer was ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So I want to set the scene for you here because we're going to this battle today. There's, there's two mountain ranges. There's a valley in between them. This is the valley of Elah. We have the Philistines on one side on the mountain range. We have the Israelites on the other side. They're staring at each other. They've been doing this for 40 days now. They're staring at each other. Both were afraid to enter the valley. And they should be because if you enter into the valley, obviously you've got not a good position there. It's a bloodbath. It's a suicide mission. You will die if you go into the valley. So this is an ancient way of doing war. Rather than the two try to fight it out, they pick one from each side. They have the battle with each other. But here's what I want you to understand as we start this story today. You know the ending. You know David and Goliath are going to fight here in this valley of Elah. And you know the end. You know what's going to happen. David is going to defeat Goliath. But here's what I want you to understand as we start this story today. As these two fight in this field, there's two camps of people watching. This battle is not just about David and Goliath. It's about everybody else watching as well. Because whoever wins this battle, wins it for everybody else. This is what I want you to understand today. You have Goliaths in your life. We fight these battles against the giants in our life. It's not just about you. You see, here's the thing. As we fight Goliaths and giants in our lives, it's about our church. It's about our friends. It's about our family. It's not just about your family now. It's about your kids, kids, kids. It's about generations to come. You see, this giant thing we have in our lives, it's not just about the Goliath right in front of you. It's about everybody else. Are you all with me on this? So here we have it. It's not just about the two of them. What does that mean to us? It means that these battles in front of us are very, very important. So here we have it. We have Goliath. He's a big man. We don't know exactly how big he was. I read a lot of different theologians this week trying to figure out how tall was Goliath. Some said, a few, not a lot, said at minimum six feet, six inches. Not all that tall. Most said nine foot nine to twelve and a half feet. Now, I'm going to tend, most of them said that side, so I'm going to tend to think he's on the larger side. So let's just split nine and a half and twelve and a half, and let's just say he's ten and a half feet tall or so. That's huge, okay? That's Shaquille O'Neal, bigger, <laughs> way bigger than that. This guy is huge. So he's wearing, he's, he's that big. He's wearing 100 pounds or so of armor. He's got three different weapons on him. He's also got a shield bearer that goes in front of him. How would you like that job? You know what I mean? I mean, seriously, like, 
Sign me up. Like, really? You know, there's, no only, there's not just two people in the battle. There's actually a shield bearer. I'm picturing your little guy. <laughs> you know, the shield bearer is there also. So this is Goliath, big, big man. Goliath is a big man. Goliath is a big problem. He comes out and he's mocking them for 40 days. Hey, send your best out here. Goliath is the bully on the, pra- on the playground. Now, at this point, Saul who's the king of Israel up there, he's probably feeling a little bit of pressure. In another passage in the book of 1 Samuel, we know that there's a passage that says that Saul, Saul stood about a head length taller than everybody else. So Saul is probably the biggest person on the Israelite side. We don't know that for sure, but he likely, likely was. Besides that, he's the king. So I'm sure that everybody's looking at him for 40 days going, are you going to do something? Are you going to do something? There's pressure that's going on. Now, he's tall. Saul's big, but he ain't Goliath big. You know what I mean? So Saul doesn't know what to do. He's frustrated. But here's the thing. David is about to enter the story. Now, before we get into this David part of this story, I want you to know that in this room today, there are three types of people. There are those that have faced giants in their past. There are those that are facing giants right now in the present time. And there are those of us that are going to face giants in the future. Everybody in here. Because giants are a reality in this life. And for, for many of us, it's, it's multiples of those, right? We have faced them. Maybe we are facing them. And we're definitely going to face them again. Giants are reality in life. So the giant in your life, it's that one thing that seems so huge. It is truly the bully on the playground. It's that one thing that taunts you every single day. It's that thing that says... Come on down here. Let's fight. Because it thinks it, it's got you. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I want you to picture the giant in your life. Whatever that first thing that comes in your mind, that's likely your giant. You already know what I'm talking about. You know the giant in your life that has just got you over and over and over again. I don't want to spend a lot of time dwelling on that because I don't want to give the giant more time and more credit than it's worth. But I do want you to picture that in front of you right now because here's the thing. Even if that giant seems so overwhelming and so huge to you, the taller they are, the longer they fall, the harder they fall. Goliaths will fall. This fight is already fixed from the very, very beginning. So now entering the stage is David. Look at verse 17 with me. Now Jesse said to his son David, take the ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David is now about to enter the picture here, but it's likely not the way that you've been taught growing up. It's not the way that we would actually expect David to enter this This scene here. David is about to go to the front lines, but he's doing so delivering some cheese and bread. I want you to understand that David, he was kind of like the first Uber Eats guy, you know? (laughs) He's kind of delivering to the front line, but here's what I want you to understand today. To defeat the giants in our lives, we have got to first and foremost be humble. Humble, humble people. This is a meaningless task. Think of this. Think if you were elected the president of the United States. That happens in November. You're taking office in January. You're about to take office. But in between that time, somebody says, hey, I want you to take a pizza and deliver it to the other side of Washington, D.C. Who would do that, right? That's meaningless. That's That's below us. Know this. David had already been anointed 
to be the king of Israel at the point he is told to go to the front lines and deliver bread and cheese to the front lines. And he did the job. We've got to first and foremost be humble people. Listen, the anointing often becomes before the appointing. God anoints us to do something, but then there's a time of proving before he appoints us to go do that thing. If David doesn't do this meaningless task that seems underneath him, David is not in the right place at the right time to defeat Goliath. You've often heard that God humbles the proud. I want you to understand today that that's part of the equation. God does humble the proud, but God also promotes the humble to prominent positions. So first, we have to be humble people. Number two, to defeat the giants, you have to have the right perspective. Look at verse 20 with me. And I'm going to read this from the KJV because I like one word in here that the King James Version used. I'm going to read this to you. Verse 20. And we have a lightsaber in the house. That's awesome. Okay. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. So I read it from this version here because I like the word trench. In some of the translations, yours probably says that he went to the battle position or to the battlefield or something along those lines. But I love that the KJV says that, that David delivers this bread and this cheese and he goes to the trench. I kind of picture it like those World War I tunnels. You've seen the movies where they have miles and miles of, of tunnels where they're kind of going in and it kind of protects them from the enemy. That's the way I kind of picture this thing. So that's where David is going to deliver this bread and cheese. He's going to the trench. Here's what I want you to understand. Goliath was huge. Goliath was big. And they're looking up at him. But if you put yourself in a trench, and I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but if you put yourself in a trench, that giant who was already big is now what? A whole lot bigger. He's a whole lot bigger in your eyes. So what we have to do is we have to have the right perspective on the giants in our lives. Yes, they are big. But could it be that we're making them bigger than they actually are? Could it be that we're giving the giant more credit than the giant is worth in the first place? In the first place. Let's continue verse 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him, his family, from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. The third thing we have to do to defeat the giants in our lives is we have to focus on the reward and not the risk. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of reward in defeating the giants in your life. And here's the other thing. It's a guaranteed reward. You see, David knew going into this fight, he was going to win. This thing's fixed from the beginning. David already knows. David's not asking this because he's concerned about the fight. David is basically saying, hey, what do I get when I knock this chump out? That's what he's saying. I want you to think of David like that, by the way, today. David's got attitude, okay? In a good way, because he's got God on his side and in his corner. He knows he's about to, to, to win. For you and I, as we go into these battles, as we have the right perspective, as we're humble, for you and I, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hmm. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord 
our God. We win this battle. We're going into this battle knowing that we have already won the battle. Sin, where are your shackles? Death, where is your sting? Is anybody here today? Amen? Amen. Amen. Satan has already lost the battle. This thing is already fixed. Perspective, perspective, perspective. Quite simply, we're making our giant bigger than our God that's in our corner. This is what you need to do. This is what Brad said earlier as we were worshiping. Let's focus on the attributes of God. The more you focus on the attributes of God, the names of God, you know who God is, you know that he's in your corner, there is nothing you can't conquer. That you can't conquer because you have the living God inside of you. No matter what may seem like it's defying you on the outside, you can, def- you can defeat it. But not you. God, through you, can defeat it. Amen? Look at verse, um, look at verse 26 with me. The, the last part of verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Look at verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David's coming out saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want you to understand, David's not just talking to Goliath at this point. David's got onlookers from both sides. David is putting on a show in front of everybody going, who is this chump? And the Bible here says it twice. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Anytime the Bible says something twice, it's really, really important. It's throughout the Bible we see these kind of things happening. Jesus often says, truly, truly, I say unto you. When he says it twice, you need to listen up. Jesus Martha, Martha. It's really important. Often we see this throughout the Word of God. We, holy, holy, holy. That's a three-peat. Very important. But here in this passage, twice, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You need to, it's kind of like the teacher in school says, this might be on a test. It's on the test, okay? This is important. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see what, what's going on inside of David right now? He knows, hey, I'm under the covenant, and this joker is not. Everybody else is looking at the size of the giant. David's looking at the size of his God. I'm under the covenant. Who is this joker? So serious question here. When the giants that face you, is your giant bigger or is your God bigger? Now, I know the answer to that question is that your God is bigger. I know that question. And I know that you know that answer. You know it theologically. You know that God is bigger than your giant. But let's just be honest here. As we have the oppositions in our life, and as we have the giants that are defying God and defying us and taunting us day after day, which is bigger? Which is bigger? Because the one that you perceive as bigger is the one that's going to win the battle. Your God is bigger. Number four, to defeat the giants, you have to listen to the right voices. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time here because I think this part may be the most important part of the whole thing because there's a lot of voices that come into our heads and a lot of voices from a lot of people that come into our lives. And the voices that we listen to are very, very important. Look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. And he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? In the wilderness. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. The first voice that we had to be careful when we listened to, and this one's kind of a little bit hard for me to preach, 
but are those that are closest to us. In this case, it's family. Now listen, here's the asterisk before I get into this. You got to listen to your family. Kids, don't go home going, he says I have to listen to mom and dad. You know, that's not what I'm saying here, okay? But if you know that you know that you know, as David did, that God has put him here in this place, and you know that this uncircumcised Philistine is about to, to go down, if you know that that's from God, you can't let the distractors, even if they're close to you, even if they're family, detract you from the mission. What if David had listened to his brother here? By the way, in Eliab here, I see a lot of jealousy. I see a lot of arrogance in him. These were Eliab's issues, not David's issue. Also, by the way, guess who's about to get the benefit of David putting down Goliath? Eliab is. The brother's about to get benefit from this. So the first one, be careful, even with closest, those closest to you. Verse 32, this is the second voice. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. The second voice we got to be careful with is well-meaning people. And I believe Saul here, I really believe he did have good intentions. He's looking at the size of Goliath. He's looking at the size of David. By the way, he was a teenager. David was. This is a mismatch from the outside looking in. Saul's going, look, you really don't want to do this. You're going to get beat. You don't want to go into this fight. I think Saul had all good intentions. There are naysayers all around us in our lives. People that say things like, you can't do it. You're too young. You're not qualified. You're not experienced enough. You need a little bit more time. Now, this one's tricky a little bit because all those things I just said actually are true at some times. There are times in our lives where we do need more experience. We do need to grow up and all these things. However, once again... It's the filter. If you know that you know that you know God says to do it, it doesn't even matter what everybody else says. Amen? Y'all with me? Here's what David did know already coming into this fight. David knew he had trained for this his whole life. He had fought bears. He had fought lions forever. He knew he could do this to the giant just as, just as easily. Same thing. But it wasn't just that David knew his fighting abilities because that is part of the equation. It wasn't that. Matter of fact, I would say even at all. Look at verse 37. This is going to give us the clue here we need. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. The first two words there in verse 37 are what? The Lord. The Lord is the one that is going to get David out of the situation. The Lord is the one that's going to win this battle. And David knows that. All those years he spent in the field, yes, he killed lions. Yes, he killed bears. He has done that many, 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 many times. But beyond killing the lions and the bears, guess what else David did out in this field for all those years? He sang. He worshiped. He praised. This battle wasn't won in the Valley of Elah. This battle was worn out on the fields where David was getting his praise and his worship on and getting to know his God. That's why when David gets out on there and Eliab starts saying something to him and Saul starts saying something to him, and we're about to see Goliath says something to him, David is listening to his God because he's been doing that his whole life. Listen to me. When you, we have Goliaths in our lives, but here's how you win the fights with Goliath. You don't win it now. You win it before. If you don't have a Goliath right now, you're going to have one in the future. Get ready now. And how you get ready is get to know your God. That's the best thing I'm going to say today right here, right now. Get to know your God because when you get face to face with Goliath, if you don't know your God, you're probably not going to win that battle. You got to know God. 
You got to know him. That's why these things, spending time in the word, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship, spending time around believers, us being together, it's important. This life is hard and you got to be equipped. The battle is won, not on the field, the valley, but it's won in the field beforehand. Y'all with me? Okay, I'm getting riled up up here. It's good. It's good, though. It's good. The third voice, look at verse 43. I'm preaching harder than y'all give me credit for. I'm just telling you. All right. Look at verse 43. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Once again, this is the bully on the playground right here. This is Goliath speaking to him. News flash to us today, the enemy hates you. The enemy hates you. No, it's not just like he kind of doesn't like. No, he hates. Satan hates you. He, he roars around, devil prowls around like a lion seeking who he may devour. And that includes you. The devil hates you this morning. Satan is very real. Evil is very real. There are spiritual entities around us that are very, very real. There are spiritual forces at work all the time. They hate us. They absolutely hate us. Your giants just don't, don't want to feed, defeat you. They want to taunt you. They don't want to just defeat you. They want to defeat all those around you. It's not just about you and Goliath out on the field. It's about everybody else watching. If you get defeated, it hurts everybody. It's not, and Satan hates us. You've seen the stories, ministers falling left and right. Christians in, in, in all these kind of different affairs and all this stuff that's all around us because Satan hates us. Satan hates the church. Listen, he's already lost, but he's going to make it as miserable as absolutely possible to try to win, to try to sh look like he's winning at least. Number five, to defeat the giants, you have to use the right weapons. Look at verse 38 with me. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And once again, I believe Saul really did mean well here. I think Saul is saying, all right, look, I've been a chicken for 40 days. I'm not going out there, but if you're going to do it, you might as well put on my stuff. Now, Saul's the king. He's probably got the finest of the finest of the armor in all of the land. He's saying, look, use my stuff. Now, we've already said that Saul was head taller than everybody else. So David, teenager, Saul, likely a lot taller and so David's trying to put on Saul's stuff. So I was thinking about this week when I was preparing this. When I was in Little League, I played catcher for one game. One, not even a full game, probably like half a game. I don't know what they were thinking. So you can't see this today, but when I was younger, like 10, 11, 12 that year, those, those ages, I was little, like really little. Like when I played football, they had a weight limit of 135. I still remember this. I would get on the scale because everybody had to get on the scale before the game, I guess, not to offend anybody. But I weighed 65. Okay, I was little. Okay, a little dude. I played catcher for one game. When you're in little, little league, they don't give you a bunch of different catcher gears. You get one per team. So I remember I squat down. The knee pads are right here. <laughs> The glove had to go right here. And so 
you know, it's little leagues. It's not like the pitcher's throwing it right here. It's not like over, so I'm, I'm just falling all over. That's the way I pictured David in this equation. He's just like, <laughs> I can't do this kind of thing. He didn't need to do it. You got to use what God has given you, not what somebody else gives to you. That's important for us to understand here today. Um, so David's here. Saul's trying his best uh, to, to give him the right stuff. And by the way, I want you to understand that this is um, the way that they were preparing here, the way that Goliath is prepared, it's for what we would call hand-to-hand combat. Plus, he's got the shield bearer in front of him. Remember that? So everything that he has, all of his weapons are for close proximity type of combat. And that's what Saul was preparing David for. Now listen, if, if David chooses to go in this clunky gear and go out there, he's now fighting hand-to-hand with this giant of a man. We have to be, not only use the right equipment, this is not on my notes, I just thought of this, we have to be wise. We have to be wise in the way that we go up against the enemy himself. So David's going out here, he takes all this stuff off, he says, get this off of me, this isn't my stuff, I'm not used to this. But David has a trick up his tunic that we're about to see. Look at verse 40. He took his staff in his hand, he chose five smooth stones from the stream, he put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David says, get this stuff off of me. Just give me my sling. Give me five smooth stones. You know what happens next. Right between the eyeballs, Goliath falls to the ground. So the question comes up often, why five stones? He did it on the first try. Why would he need five stones? Theologians have different theories on this. We can't prove any of these, but there are some different theories. One of them, pretty good theory, is that Goliath, and this is true, Goliath had four other brothers. So David's going into the battle going, hey, uh, I'm going to knock you out, and then I'm going to knock Steve and Jimmy and, you know, whatever this Goliath's brothers and names were. I'm going to knock them out as well. I'm going into this thing. I'm going to kill everybody. So kill everybody. That's just a fun thing to say in a sermon. You don't get to do that very often, you know? That was kind of fun. Kill everybody. Uh, sorry, I got a little off track there. He has five stones. Another theory says that... Um, and this one, pretty good too, that David was just going in as prepared, as prepared as possible. That's good advice, by the way. If you're going up against your Goliath, just take everything you got, everything in your arsenal. Just in case stone number one doesn't work, try stone number two. Just keep going. David knew that he could get him. If it didn't happen with one, it happened with two. I don't know exactly why he chose five stones, but let's just say that he needed the, you know, stone two, stone three, stone four. It's still going to work. He's still going to knock him out. Here's what I can tell you. As I face Goliaths in my life, the giants in my life, rarely, if ever, have I defeated Goliath in my life on the first try with the first stone. I mean, if you have, praise be to God to you, because I believe it can happen, because it happened for David, but for many of us, it doesn't happen with the first stone. It may take stone two, stone three. So stone one might be, hey, I'm going to read every passage of scripture I can on this issue that I'm dealing with, and I'm going to try to get the word of God inside of me to deal with this situation. You try it for a while, it doesn't work. Okay, that ain't working. I'm going to keep on reading, but now I'm going to pray this thing out. That's stone number two. You're still trying. It's still not working. All right, now I'm going I'm to pray. I'm going to read the Word of God. I'm going to start fasting. We don't talk about that one much around here, but fasting, praying, reading. We're going to keep. It's still not working. All right, I'm going to throw worship in there all the time. That's still not working. We just keep going. Fast and pray more. We keep going. We keep going. Man, you get down to stone number five, you're desperate at this point. This is where you say, I need a bunch of people to pray with me, pray over me, get that 
that grandma whose Pentecostal is all get out to cast the demons out of you. Whatever you got to do at that point, you're going to the well to get this thing taken. If you're desperate enough to get a, to get a giant out of your way, you will do anything. Am I right? Amen? And there's worth it. It's worth it. There's a reward to defeating these giants in our lives. So keep doing it. Keep going forward. Sixth thing. Sixth. Number six. To defeat giants, you have to go on the offensive. I love this one. This is about to get good. Look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver, me into, will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love this. If we're going to defeat the giants in our lives, we have to go on the offensive. Throughout the word of God, God has required action for us. God will do the fighting, but he requires us to take that first step of action. Moses had to lift the rod for the Red Sea to part. It didn't just happen until he lifted that rod. The Jordan River didn't stop until the priest put their feet inside of the river. Then suddenly it stopped. Martha, she's grieving the loss of her brother, Lazarus. She had to move the stone for Lazarus to come out. Peter's out fishing. Jesus says, take your net, Peter. Put it on the other side of the boat. Jesus, God could have done every single one of those things without a human being being involved, but he said, do this, do this, do this. They did it, and then God delivered them. Throughout the word of God, we see over and over and over that we have to, as Christians, go on the offensive. We have to take that first step. Now here, here, David says, hey, giant, I'm coming for you. I am coming for you. We live in a world that doesn't want to offend anybody. David, frankly, didn't care at this point. Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you should come at me? <laughs> Defy the armies of the living God. They're all listening up there. You know how many people are offended? Every single one of them. How often, church, are we so, I'm off script, how often do we worry about offending people that are defying the almighty living God himself? Look, our fear should not be, I'm off script here, our fear should not be offending people. I'm not saying to go out there and just offend people to offend people, but our, our desire should be to honor our living God. And if they're defying the living God, they need to be called out. Are you with me? Oh, this is, but it's right. Especially as we go on in time here and things maybe get tougher than they already are. So you know what happens next. There's a stone, there's a sling. Here's what I do. I picture David running the whole time. I picture him not even stopping running. Matter of fact, I picture him before he starts, I picture him holding him back. And he's like, let me in, let me in. That's the way I picture this guy. He's like the arrow that's in the bow that's just about to just explode. He's the horse that's in the gate that's just ready for the gate to open. 
And when it does, when God says go, David charges. It says he ran straight at the giant. There wasn't fear here. He ran straight at the giant. Once again, because this is not just about Goliath and David. This is about everybody else watching. This is about the defilement, the defilement of the Almighty God. David is putting a show on for everybody to see. I'm taking this joker down. This giant is falling down. And for us, sometimes we need to take the giants down publicly to show everybody, my God is real. My God can beat this thing. I picture David, I picture him never even stop running. He's slinging, he's slinging, he's slinging. He never quits running. He throws that thing right at him. By the way, David knows who's on his side. Giants over there, he could have thrown the stone that way. It would woo, angels in the outfield kind of thing. It would have hit Goliath between the eyeballs, right? He's going to win. David knows he's going to win. This isn't an underdog. He's ready to go. He's ready to fight. So Goliath falls to the ground. He's dead. And typically in children's Bible study, in our little precious moments of Bibles and stuff, this is where the story ends. And probably for a good reason, because the next part we're about to get to is a little bit more graphic than that. There's more to this story. Look at verse 51. David ran. He stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. But you think? I mean, this little boy just took down what they thought was their hero. They take off and they run. So here's the situation. I picture that David never stopped running. He's running, he's slinging, he's slinging, he hits him. I picture he never stopped running. He just keeps going. He knows he's dead. There's this 10-foot man just laying face down on the ground. David keeps running. He goes straight to him. He grabs his Goliath sword, and he chops his head off. Now, this is about to get gory here. If you're a little queasy, I'm sorry. But this is, I want to paint this picture for you. There's a head now chopped off. It's rolling a little bit. Blood is squirting in every single direction. It's graphic. It's nasty. It's horrific. I imagine, obviously, the Philistines are running. There may be friends and family of him of Goliath that are watching this. They're horrified at what they're watching. This is horrible. This is a horrible scene. Let's don't paint it more pretty than what it is. Even on the Israelite side, I imagine there's some grown men. These are trained warrior soldiers throwing up over in the corner because of what they're seeing. I imagine there's many in shock. There's some that probably passed out. This is all going on because this is horrific. And I imagine David, who's just ran, ran, ran. He's grabbed the sword. He's cut the head off. I imagine David picking up by the hair and holding this head. And I picture him just standing with this firm as possible and looking around. It doesn't say that he said anything here, but I, I just picture him saying something, you know? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Because at this point, David's preaching. He's preaching to both sides. This is what happens. Giants go down. That's the way I picture, I, I picture David with blood all over. Just the, the scenes you see in the movies, that's the way I picture this thing. Y'all okay? It's a little gory, a little grotesque. But I want you to know that this is, well, I, can, I guess I can drop the head. I'm still holding the head right here. I don't know why. You know, I just realize I'm still holding the head. Huh? So, <laughs> it was kind of funny, wasn't it? Um, I get it. I get that this makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it doesn't need to be. This story doesn't end in all cutesy. 
Because we got to understand that that's what happened. And by the way, why cut the head off? You ever seen these movies where the bad guy comes back in the end? You know, like they shoot him like 53 times and they're like, well, he's behind you, he's behind you, he's coming back again. You know what I'm talking about? They don't if you cut the head off, okay? So for some of you in this room, you've had a giant that you have defeated in the past, but maybe you haven't gone that extra step and cut the head off of the giant. As gory and as gross as that may sound, blood needs to be squirting in every single direction and get the giant's head cut off. You will never hear another sermon talking about cutting off heads for the rest of your life. I promise you. But I love it. Seventh thing. To defeat giants, you have to remember the past victories. Verse 54. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapon, weapons in his own tent. So, David has the head here. He takes it back. He puts it in his tent. I'm kind of picturing almost like the taxidermy thing. He's up on the wall kind of thing. In the future, David comes across future battles, future Goliaths, future giants. And when he does that, he looks over in the corner and is reminded, yeah, I beat that guy right there. I've defeated that giant. Sometimes in our lives, we have to look at past victories to remember that God can still do it in our present tense. By the way, it says that he took this head to Jerusalem. And there's some theories out there about this. This is actually a pretty good theory on this. I love when I read this this week. I love this one. It says that he, we know for sure he, he cut the head off and he took it to Jerusalem. So one of the things that was done commonly back in the day, back in these days, was they would take the head of the enemy, they would cut him off, and they would put that head in a prominent place for others to see. And it was basically to kind of show the future enemies, the other enemies, that this is what we've done and this is what we will do to you. It's kind of a way to just kind of proclaim that we can fight kind of thing. So it says he took it to Jerusalem. At this time, Jerusalem was not Israelite. It was the Jebusites that owned it. So as he takes this head, he puts it, and usually they put it in a prominent place on a hill. So there is a theory out there, Goliath from Gath, we can kind of merge those words together, and it comes up with the word Gal. Gotha. And we know that Golgotha became known later as a place of the skull. Now, I cannot prove this to you today. We don't know, but it is possible, and it's, I'd say, a good chance even, that the place where Goliath's head was taken was at the place where Jesus Christ was later going to die on the cross. Past victories often point us to future victories. Maybe a little prophetic was going on right here. So here we are. Here we are today. For many of you in this room, you're fighting Goliaths right here in your present tense. There's Goliaths in your life. There are Goliaths all around. Listen, I want to I be quite honest with you today. There are Goliaths in our community. There is stuff going on um, we've had so many scandals in the city of Gulf Breeze. It's, it's unreal. We've had stuff in our schools. We've had stuff in other churches. We've had stuff in the city. I mean, just stuff is everywhere. Here's what I really believe is happening. And it's not just here. It is happening a lot here. But it's happening everywhere. Here's what I believe. I believe that Satan, much like Goliath, is kind of going back and forth. And he's taunting. He's taunting us. He's taunting the church. And I kind of picture many times the church is sitting in the trench... What's that game that kids played? Little patty cake, patty cake. That's kind of what I picture we're doing sometimes. Church, it is time that we come out of the trenches 
And we say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Things are going to get worse in this world before they get better. And we have got to be bold. We are so afraid of offending anybody nowadays. Look, and I'm not, once again, I'm not saying go out and offend people. Listen, we fight over stupid, stupid stuff. I don't know where you stand on the mask thing. I don't even care, to be honest with you, but we're fighting over mask. I, I, I just offended everybody, probably. I, I don't want to. Like, we're fighting over stuff, and Satan is prancing around going, hey, is that all you got, church? Because we're sitting in the trenches. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You got giants, I got giants, we all got giants. It's time that we defeat some giants together. Get out of the trench together, church. Y'all bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask you one question today. Some of you this is going to speak to, and if this is you, I want you to just look up at me. All I'm going to do is pray for you, no, nothing else. If you would say today, hey, Kevin, I know, I know, I know I've got a giant in my life that needs to be defeated. Would you just look up at me today? I want to pray for you. That's it. So, yeah. Okay. Many, many, I would say even most of you. Okay, you can put your heads down. We're going to pray in just a second. The second question is this. I want to be a stone. I want to be a stone in the bag for somebody here today. I want to be a part of knocking out Goliaths all around us. I want to be a part of the solution and not the problem. This is not a look up at me situation. This is a stand to your feet and look straight at me situation. You want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. You want to be a stone in somebody else's life. If that is you, stand to your feet. You want to get out of the trench. You want to get out of the trench. Stand up. I want you to look around. We are standing. We are standing, church. The church has taken a beating over the last year or two. But guess where we are? Right here, right now, standing on our feet. The church has taken hits for 2,000 years. Guess where the church is? Standing right here, right now, today. Here's my call to you today for boldness. Boldness. Is there a David among us that'll talk trash in the sight of the enemy today? That'll say, I've had enough. I've had enough for me. I've had enough for my family. Enough is enough is enough. I'm ready to fight. Here's my altar call for you today. I'm going to call this down here the Valley of Elah. This is the valley. This is where the battle happens. If today you say, I got a Goliath that I need to to defeat. You know what David did? He didn't think about it. He didn't pray about it. He ran straight at the Goliath. If you got a Goliath, you can come here to this valley symbolically today, this valley of Elah, and get it on. Get it on with Goliath. And here's the other part of this. Some of you in this room, you're the stone. Or you're saying, I'm the David. If somebody comes down here, you come down here with them. You pray with them. You pray over them. Church, it's time. You'll never hear this in a sermon. Church, it's time to fight. It is time to fight. Enough is enough is enough. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the enemies of God? We're going to snatch ourselves back out of the grasp of Satan. Am I right? Am I right? Come on.
find out more about First Baptist Church, go 